It's, it's been a really brief and shallow surface kind of glance at the text that we have been looking at for the last three weeks. Uh, if we really were to dig into it, it could take several weeks, even several months to, uh, to mine out all this in there. Uh, but last week, we touched on some of the signs indicating that you are under the attack of the enemy. And among those signs are discouragement. It's one of the big ones that Satan uses. Uh, depression, you know, the blues. Um, also, confusion is a sign that Satan is attacking you. And that could be a lot, you know, doubts uh, in, in your mind, maybe even uncertainty about God or God's plan uh, for your life, and maybe even lack of assurance for your salvation. Uh, indifference is another sign that Satan is attacking. Uh, that could be through callousness in your heart, hard-heartedness. Uh, it could be coldness toward the things of God, bitterness uh, toward other people, and maybe even bitterness toward God for not understanding what has happened in your life. And so these are just some of the evidences that you're under attack of the enemy, that he's working against you uh, through circumstances or feelings or so forth. And so what do you do as a believer when these things come against you? How do you handle those things? Well, everyone knows the answer to that. You complain, right? <laughs> you bellyache. And you blame God for putting all that stuff on you. Well, actually... Complaining about it is another sign that you have uh, fallen victim to the devil's schemes. The scripture in, in a number of places uh, urges us to rejoice always and in everything to give thanks. Now, that doesn't mean that you enjoy everything all the time that happens to you, but it's possible to still rejoice while you're weeping over what's happening. And so scripturally, uh, a whining, complaining, grouching, griping attitude over what happens is an indication that you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. And you can give thanks in everything. Now let me just say this. Don't be surprised at Satan's attack. Don't be surprised. Of course he attacks. Why wouldn't he? I mean, that's, that's the character of Satan. That, that's his nature to do that. And not only that, when you became a child of God, you switched sides and became an enemy of the devil. And so, yes, he's going to attack you. So don't be surprised by that. Be more surprised and concerned if he doesn't attack you. But get this, and this might surprise you a little bit more, God lets him do it. God permits Satan to attack you, but only within certain limits will he allow him to attack. You'd never grow, you'd never develop into what God wants you to be were it not for the attacks that Satan brings against you. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial that, that you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you? And then Jesus declared in John 16, verse 33, in the world you will have trouble, 
but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so don't be surprised when the enemy comes against you and stop complaining when it happens. Instead of whining, then go ahead and do what the Word of God instructs us to do. And when these things happen, and that is put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that's the only way that we can handle that. Well, I want you to uh, read the text. Uh, I, the last couple of weeks, we have read it together. And you've done such a fabulous job. This will be your last opportunity to read aloud this text. And I'm really counting on you because I didn't even put the text in my notes. And so you're going to have to read it uh, today, okay? So can you read it out uh, really loud, uh, loudly again? And pay attention to the words as you, as you read this. And so let's start together. Finally, be strong. Amen. Amen. You guys did awesome. Uh, thank you for sharing that. It's God's Word. You know, last week we covered uh, the first three pieces of the believer's armor. Uh, we're to stand firm, Paul says, with uh, the belt of truth buckled around our waist, and then the breastplate of righteousness in place, and then the peace, uh, our feet fitted with the readiness that um, comes from the gospel of peace. And, and Paul indicated that when we put on these pieces of armor, uh, it, it, that occurs when you become a child of God. When, when you're born again, uh, these pieces of armor symbolize what Christ becomes for you and to you. And so Christ is the truth. I mean, he showed us uh, clearly, you know, no man ever spoke like this man did. Ever, even his enemies said that. He spoke truth. He understood life. Uh, the breastplate of righteousness, we don't come and we don't stand in our own filthy righteousness, but we come and stand only in his, what he has provided for us. And then the peace, when we make peace with God, uh, then he gives us the peace of God. And it's his peace that he puts into us. And those things come to us and happen when we become a child of God. And so Paul, in, in the use of uh, the, the tense of the verb that he uses, uh, in some translations it says, having the belt of truth on and the breastplate of righteousness and the feet shod, uh, indicates that that's something that was done earlier. 
But then he goes on and says, now take up a piece of armor and put on a piece of armor. And so the first three pieces, I mean, you have that when you become a child of God. It's, it's added to you. But now these next three that we're going to talk about today is uh, you pick those up and, and you put them on. You know, even though we have on those first three pieces of armor, I said last week, if, if that were all that you got, uh, you still could win. Uh, but God doesn't want us just to be conquerors. He wants us to be more than conquerors through him. But there are times that we put on those first three, we have those first three, and yet we're under attack. And it seems like the devil somehow finds a chink in the armor and he gets through. And uh, so it might go kind of like this. Or your day uh, is going really, really well. And uh, you're just checking things off your to-do list. You, know, you get them all done. The little problems that come in, uh, they're, they're non-issues because you, your, your day is just going well. Everything's going really smoothly. And then, bam, kind of like this. <laughs> you ever felt like that? You're just standing around. Everything's good and like, Bam! Out of the middle of nowhere. You get nailed. And, and by the way, you know, the disclaimer on that, nobody got really hurt badly. <laughs> they were just baby teeth anyway. Just regular come in later. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something happens. And you find that your mind begins to slide downhill in the wrong direction. The temptation might be to anger or to lust or bitterness, or greed, or doubt and despair, or any number of similar uh, things that, that, that Satan brings against you. And so it starts when you find yourself sailing along smoothly, and then something happens. And it could just be simply someone saying something unkind to you with a hateful tone of voice. And that kind of pushes my buttons. And so maybe that will maybe ruin an otherwise good day. Or maybe you're working along in the office and a piece of office equipment breaks and it interrupts your smooth day and you hadn't planned on that happening. Or a person that sometimes you have great difficulty getting along with uh, just unexpectedly shows up and uh, give no indication of leaving anytime soon. And you don't know anybody like that. Or, or somebody just makes a careless comment and it's a comment that could be taken any of a number of ways. But for some reason that day, you just choose to take the most negative uh, application of that comment. And you, you think that's probably what they meant. And so the devil's schemes can come in a thousand different ways. And we're caught off guard. We're caught off balance. We're hit broadside unexpectedly and nearly taken off of our feet. Husbands and wives fight over minute issues on the way to church. And I've already told you how my wife and I handle that. She rides her car and I drive mine. And we never argue on the way to church. Parents fly off the handle with their children at the slightest provocation. Fear grips you and saps the strength from you. And so you start the day in this upbeat mood where everything is going well and suddenly you're hit with these feelings of discouragement 
You're hit with random thoughts of doubts that come into your mind that maybe target your faith in God or his word. And you say, what is happening? Well, Paul tells us what's happening. He says, what you are experiencing is what he calls the flaming arrows of the evil one. Satan is shooting his missiles at you. They come sometimes as evil thoughts or imaginations that all of a sudden intrude into your thinking. And, and they can happen at the most inopportune or unexpected time. It could come while you're reading your Bible or even when you're praying or, or otherwise studying the Word of God or thinking something totally different. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this, this filthy, lustful thought comes into your mind, flashes into your thoughts. What is that? It's an arrow. It's a fiery arrow of the evil one. And we need to recognize that as such. You know, there are some people who say, no, nah, that thought came from me. I'm just an awful person. You know, I'm, 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 just, I'm just not a good Christian. I, I'm just a horrible Christian. And then the devil uses that to bring discouragement. No, that didn't come from just you. you know, th- those are thoughts that the enemy will fire at you. And they can come sometimes in a form of anxiety attacks. Or sudden fears that come upon you. Or just a feeling, a general feeling that, that something is not right. And it's a feeling that just won't leave you. And, and those are fiery arrows, flaming arrows of the evil one. So what are you to do? You don't complain. We already talked about that. But so how do you combat these thoughts or these doubts or anxieties or fears or feelings? How do you combat those successfully? Paul says, take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the fiery or flaming arrows of the evil one. Now the Roman shield of that time was called a a, uh, scutum. Uh, It's a type of shield that was pretty much almost as large as a door, and it would uh, cover the warrior almost entirely. Uh, it was a shield that uh, would not, was not just defensive, but could be offensive. I mean, you get a guy uh, behind a shield like that, and he's moving, he could pretty well push an opponent uh, back uh, if he wanted to. Uh, but when fighting as a group or a, a phalanx of soldiers... Uh, they could position their shields so they could form an enclosure um, around themselves called a testudo, which is a word that means tortoise. So you can see why it would be called that. Uh, especially this was helpful when uh, arrows were launched from uh, the walls of cities. You know, to, to, if, if they were attacking a city, uh, the arrows would come down and they could uh, protect themselves and close themselves with this shield. Now, we could sidetrack a little bit and camp out here for just for a bit, but we're not going to. But can you see how important it is not to walk the Christian life alone? But you get somebody to walk with you, and you walk in this Christian experience with someone, and you got somebody to decide you. And you begin to read all these one another passages of scriptures that says love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, and so on and so forth. And so when you find yourself uh, under attack and the arrows are raining down on you, uh, you got somebody to stand with you. You've know, you got quite, quite a defense uh, when the enemy shoots at you. 
And so just an encouragement, um, get plugged in in every way you can, whether it's connect groups or whatever. Um, just do life together with other people. But these shields were often made of wood, and then they would be covered with hide. Uh, and so when they were wet down uh, before they went into battle, uh, then that, that could extinguish uh, flaming arrows that were shot at them and maybe stuck into the shield. And so when the enemy archers would shoot arrows at them, uh, these soldiers would duck together uh, behind the shields and the arrows hopefully would uh, bounce off or ricochet or at least not uh, totally penetrate. Now a flaming arrow uh, was one that was wrapped with some flammable material and soaked in pitch. And then right before the arrow was shot, they, they would light the pitch. And so when the arrow struck a target... Uh, then the, the flaming pitch would splatter and cause fires uh, to, to wherever it would be. And uh, so if it was something flammable, it would catch it on fire. But well-made Roman shields would have leather or metal on the front that would extinguish the flames uh, when it was wet. So that's the shield of faith. When that flaming arrow comes at you, you bring up the shield of faith to quench those. Now, it's not called the shield of belief. Uh, we talked already about um, what we believe, and, and we've got this belt of truth around us, and, and these are basic things that we have to believe about ourselves. And so we just simply recall the, what we believe. Uh, yeah, we, we know that Jesus is the truth. He's my righteousness. He's my peace, etc. But faith is more than just belief. Faith is acting upon belief. Faith is decision and action. And so faith is obedience. What God says, we walk in obedience to him. And so faith that obeys makes you invincible to the flaming arrows that are fired your way. Faith chooses to believe. And to follow the truth of God rather than to succumb to the lies of the evil one. The flaming missiles of temptation are only effective on susceptible material. Let me just say that self-confidence is very combustible. If you're trusting in yourself to overcome temptation... You don't stand much of a chance against those flaming arrows. And so, dare, I dare, I'll just say, don't dare throw away the shield of faith. Don't try to build your own faith, a philo- your own philosophy, or your own ideas, your own opinion, or your own self-effort. Because only the shield of faith will quench the fiery darts. Only the shield of faith will take away the fuel for the arrow. It neutralizes the power of temptation. So take the shield of faith. Uh, using that, extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. Now the fifth piece of armor is represented by the soldier's helmet. He says, take the helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier would never enter battle without his helmet. Uh, made out of either leather or metal, uh, the helmet had a band uh, to protect the forehead. It had plates 
uh, for the cheeks, and it extended down in the back uh, to protect the neck. And when it was strapped into place, as you can see, uh, there's very little uh, visible except maybe the eyes and the nose and the mouth that are exposed. Now, metal helmets, uh, because they were heavy due to their weight, uh, they would often be lined with sponge or felt kind of material uh, to, to make them a little more comfortable. But since it was heavy and uncomfortable, uh, it was the last piece of armor that Paul lists here that was to, to go on before you went into battle. And so a Roman soldier would be absolutely foolish to enter battle without his helmet. The helmet would um, somewhat protect his head from arrows, but the primary function was to protect his head from the blows of the broadsword, which oftentimes um, the enemy would swing. Uh, This was more like a three to four foot long sword with a uh, two-handed grip that would be used like a baseball bat. And generally they were aimed at the enemy's head. So, yeah, you want something like that on to give you at least a chance. Now, note that the helmet of salvation is not talking about salvation that came at conversion. He's not talking about the helmet of salvation, the salvation that came at conversion, because Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who already are children of God. In fact, the only ones who can effectively take up and and put on the armor of God are those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a believer or a follower of the Lord, then then you're you're defenseless. You you cannot take those up. Uh, You you need to come to Christ and put faith and trust in Him. So these are believers. And so he's not talking about the helmet of salvation past. He's talking about the helmet of salvation future. And referring specifically to the hope of salvation, the assurance of salvation that that includes the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what that lets us know as a believer is that when when we face the onslaught of the enemy, it's not going to last forever. Jesus is coming back, and and he's going to come back to reign. But you know, Satan wants to use discouragement and hopelessness as weapons to oppose us. Because he knows that when you're discouraged, you are most vulnerable at those times. And so we make foolish decisions when we're discouraged. We're susceptible to all kinds of temptations. In fact, both Moses and Elijah were so discouraged that they asked God to kill them. God, just take me, just kill me. David, the psalmist, uh, some of the psalms recorded occasions where David was in the depths of despair and he could only hope in God. So he says in Psalm 43, verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So discouragement comes. And, And when the mind, however, is protected by the blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ, then Satan can't use discouragement to attack us because the assurance of our ultimate salvation and victory gives us the confidence that our current struggle with Satan won't last forever, but we are victorious. In fact, we know, don't we, 
that we are victorious in the end. So put on the helmet of salvation, the future hope that is ours, and deflect the devil's attacks upon your mind. Well, there's a final piece of our spiritual defense, and that is the sword of the Spirit. Uh, The Spirit provides a sword for us. Uh, and, And Paul says that that sword is the Word of God. If you are going to use effectively the Spirit's sword, the Word of God, then you've got to believe that the Word of God is inspired by the Scripture, by, by the Spirit of God. If you don't believe that the Scriptures are, are inspired, then you're not going to trust it and you're not going to use it. And so the starting point is, is saying, yes. Uh, and, and the scriptures bear that out. The Spirit of God uh, moved upon men, and they wrote uh, what you have in the Word of God. All scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable in so many different ways, uh, Paul says to Timothy. And so we have to believe God's Word is inspired by the Spirit of God. And we also believe that not only is it inspired, but that God will make that Word come alive to us at the appropriate time, and in the right situations. And so he helps us to apply that scripture to our hearts. And so we have this spirit sword that Paul immediately identifies as the word of God. Two words are used to translate that phrase, word of God. One is a very familiar word for most of us, it's logos, and um, it's the word that was used in the opening verse of John's gospel, uh, where he says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the logos was with God, and the logos was God. And the other less familiar word is the word rhema. And uh, it has a somewhat different meaning. Uh, but logos <clears throat> refers to the total utterance of God or the complete revelation of God that's given to us and that we find in our Bible, the general complete revelation of God. Rhema, however, refers to a specific saying of God, a passage or a verse that has special application to an immediate situation that you find yourself in. And so the word used here is the word rhema. The sword of the Spirit is the saying, it is the verse, it is the passage of God applied to a specific situation. Now, it's fitting that Paul refers to it as the sword uh, of the Spirit. Uh, A Roman soldier's sword was short. Uh, It would be anywhere from 18 to a maximum of 24 inches long. And, and as opposed to the longer broadsword that the cavalry would use from their horse and try to take a head off of the enemy. And so this sword is short. It's obviously designed for uh, close-in combat. And uh, it's to be used with more precision and at close range. And it would, uh, it would be used to deflect or to parry a thrust from the enemy and then to counter-strike uh, in close range. And so it was a short sword to be used with skill and precision. That's what you need when the enemy attacks with discouragement or with specific temptation. And so, for instance, if 
If you find yourself tempted uh, to, to watch porn on whatever, the internet or whatever, and, and, you th- and, and the devil says, well, it's, it's not going to hurt anything. You know, it, it doesn't bother anything. You know, it, it doesn't. But you say, wait a minute. You know, the Bible says don't do that. And so when you think like that and you use that approach, the Bible says don't do it, that's the Logos. You're saying, well, the, old, the, you know, the Bible, you know, I've read enough of the Bible, I've heard it preached enough to know, no, you're not supposed to do that. But what really is effective is when you use the short sword and you use the rhema of God and you start saying, okay, no, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now that is a rhema. And that's a short passage of scripture that the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind and say, no, this is how you deflect that attack of the enemy. And this is how you get back at him. The scripture says, no, don't even look lustfully on someone because you commit adultery with them. That's the sword of the spirit. And that is effective in defeating the enemy. Just a word of caution uh, about the scriptures, uh, we have to compare scripture with scripture. I mean, it's important to do that uh, for the simple reason that you don't want to take a verse out of context and then indiscriminately apply that verse to your life or, or build your life just on that one verse without getting the balance of the rest of scripture, the whole counsel of God. You know, the devil knows the scriptures and he can quote, he can quote the scriptures And so after 40 days and nights of eating nothing, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. He was vulnerable. Every, everything, these nice smooth round rocks looked exactly like a loaf of bread to him, I'm sure. And at that opportune moment, the tempter Satan said to him, if you are the son of God, you tell these stones to become bread. Now, yeah, he could have done that. But Jesus knew that, that uh, you know, the scripture, the appropriate scripture to answer that situation is it is written, it's in the word, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But this sword to counter the attack of Satan and to come back with the word of God. And on two more occasions in, in, in really close uh, succession, Satan brought crucial uh, temptations to Jesus and his vulnerabilities. And on each occasion, Jesus countered Satan's use of scripture out of context with using a rhema of God to answer that. And so with that specific saying of God, he deflected and uh, successfully countered the temptations Satan brought against him. We have the same weapon. Now, obviously... The greater exposure there is to Scripture, the more the Spirit can use with this mighty sword in our lives. But listen, if you never read the Bible, if you never study the Scriptures, then you are terribly exposed to the enemy and to defeat. You have no defense. 
You have nothing to put up against those forces that are at work in your life. The Spirit has nothing in your memory to draw upon, to use to counter what the tempter is bringing against you. So when you're faced with this inevitable attack from the enemy, the Spirit has nothing to bring to counter that. And so it's imperative that, that we read the Word of God. And do you understand why the enemy doesn't want you to read the Scriptures? You don't have time. Yeah, you do, but the devil says you don't have time. He don't want you to read it. And so when you get God's Word into your heart, into your mind, and the Spirit of God that inspired that Word can quicken your heart, that passage of Scripture, to meet that specific attack of the enemy at that moment, enabling you to effectively resist him. Well, we've looked at the um, complete armor of God briefly, quickly glancing over it, uh, each piece symbolically representing some aspect of Christ to us, uh, truth, righteousness, peace, uh, appropriated by faith, and then applied to our life through the hope of salvation and, and the sayings of God that are specific at those times. We've been commanded, as Paul starts this passage, by saying, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And we discovered the way to be strong is to put on Christ or to put on the armor of Christ, which typifies how we uh, symbolically put Christ on in our lives. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's good stuff that Paul gives us. But I want to close this series on this thought. It's kind of interesting uh, to me that four times... In this text, Paul uses the word stand. Everything in that text aims at this thought that we might be able to stand. Now, some of us don't like that very much. Men don't like to just stand. But it's a word that Paul uses. And and I want you to, to... to get the word picture that comes to my mind when I see this word stand. And I shared this first service as well. My, my favorite football team, okay? And I'm not going to tell you who it is because you'd find this totally unbelievable uh, as a word picture. But my favorite football team is ahead by six points in the closing seconds of the Super Bowl. Now, the opposing team has the ball, on our two-yard line, threatening to score, and it's fourth down. So winning, my team digs in, and it refuses to be moved. And it holds on to the victory through this amazing goal line stand. Now that's us. That's us. We are to refuse to give up the ground that we have. We are to stand. Now, why does Paul put it like that? You know, why, why does it, Paul say, well, having done all, fight. Or put on the full armor of God and advance, charge, attack. That's what we would like. But... Paul gives these 
very serious commands to stand in a very serious fight. Paul wanted us to know that the way we win this victory is we stand. We stand. Why does he use the word stand? I think for one thing, the word stand reveals to us the intensity of the struggle. We're told to stand because there are times when that's all we can do is just stand. The most we can possibly hope for is to remain standing, unmoved. In the midst of the intensity of conflict in our lives, when the battle becomes so furious and so fierce that we can't do anything but stand, And yet, Paul says, don't retreat. Don't run back. Those circumstances that come into your life or a combination of situations or tragedies that come against you that try to knock you off your feet, just stand. Stand through that. Stand until the attack subsides or lets up. The word stand also indicates the character of the battle that we're engaged in. It's a primarily a defensive battle. You know, if a castle or a fort is under attack, the battle is not won when those inside the fort or the castle venture out to face the enemy in the open. You don't win like that. That's when you stay inside those walls and you stand your ground and you repel that invasion, that's when you win. And that's the picture of a Christian life. It's a defensive battle. And the reason for that is we are not the ones to take new ground. We're not the ones who win the battle. The ground has already been taken. In our fight, the offensive work was done over 2,000 years ago on the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus, only Christ has the power and the strength to do battle with the force of darkness, a prince of darkness in this world. And Jesus did it and he overcame. So we don't battle to be saved. We don't fight to be justified or forgiven or accepted in the family of God. That's already been given to us. So we have this as a child of God. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. He gives us our right standing in him. And so we stand and we fight to enjoy it and to continue uh, to walk in what he's given to us. And so we take our stand. But there's times when that defensive action becomes an offensive action. And that simply is that when the Christian learns to stand, as only a Christian can, then we begin to manifest the peace and the certainty and the assurance and the poise that comes to us in the middle of a troubled world. And when the people look at us and see us standing firm when everything around us is falling to pieces, they say, well, what's, what's with them? What, what do they have is so different. 
And it begins to say, okay, it's more of an offensive weapon at that moment. And then the final aspect of that word stand suggests the certainty of victory. The certainty of victory. If, if putting on the armor of God and praying, which I, we didn't talk about that, that's, that's part of the armor actually. Putting on the armor and praying makes it possible for us to stand immovable, then nothing more is required to win. If we just stand where we are, we win. So if a castle or a fort cannot be taken, then the attackers will have nothing left to do but simply to withdraw and go home. So if we can stand our ground, they're defeated and they're beaten because they haven't taken us. James says, resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. Scripture says that after Jesus was tempted three times in those vulnerable stages and he successfully overcame Satan with the Scriptures, the Scripture says that Satan left him for a season. So if we can learn to stand in the victory we have, then we're victorious. Amen? And so what that means is that any believer whether you're a brand new believer or whether you feel like you're the weakest Christian on the face of the earth. If all you do is simply put on the full armor of God and pray and stand, then the devil is always defeated. If he can't lure you out from your position, then he gets all frustrated and then he overextends himself. And we say, oh yeah, you buzzard you. I know what you're trying to do. And we overcome it. And so we stand firm. Now, I'm perfectly content to stand victoriously in the victory that Christ has achieved for me. And so that's where we stand and fight. And that's how we win the victory. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. Let's stand together, would you please? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the resources that you've made available to us. Your heart is not only to redeem us from a life of sin, but to help us in our walk with you to to live victoriously and to win in, in our walk with you. So God, I just pray that You'll help us, Lord, as, as the enemy attacks us, whether it's uh, this afternoon or this week or, or whenever he comes. He's going to come. But God, I pray you'll help us to be prepared and realize that we don't fight in our own strength. There's not one person that's ever walked this earth that has overcome Satan except you. Everyone else has, fought, has failed and fallen. So, God, we know without you, we, we cannot stand. We cannot win. But, God, we understand also that if we will learn to trust you and learn to apply who, who you are and what you are to our life, then we can't be defeated. And so, God, we, we today, we, we, we decide to, to clothe ourselves with you, Lord Jesus, and put you on as our defense, as our armor that will stand against the attack of the enemy 
that we will achieve and we are achieving the victory that you've promised to us through Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in that today. Thank you for it, oh God. Thank you for that. We have, we, we, to, to, today, God, help us to begin to apply that truth of your scripture to our hearts. And we give you honor for this. In Jesus' name, amen.